I'm Jeff Woods. Welcome to the Blue Hotel, an episode we're going to call BDSM 101, a chance to overcome ill-informed perceptions, a chance to better understand what's really at play and who's involved and why and how and where. The testimonials speak to her effectiveness and ability. For example, this one. From the moment you opened the door and greeted me, I was immediately at ease. You handled me with care and compassion. You grounded me in the moment. How you continued through our time together, leading me, teasing me, inspiring me. You are truly a master of your craft. And so we welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast, a professional dominatrix and kink educator of more than 10 years, facilitating one-on-one sessions, coaching with couples, consulting fellow sex professionals. You can find her at Toronto's The Ritual Chamber and at LadyPim.com. We welcome Aaron, Lady Pim. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, and I'm glad you're here. And I can tell from your presentation and appearance mm. and great sound that uh, you've done this a few times. <laughs> yeah, a couple. It's not my first time at the rodeo, so <laughs> happy to be here, well, Jeff. I'm glad you are. Thanks for agreeing. The reason uh, I found you was through Oasis Aqua Lounge. Oh, fabulous. I'm uh, doing an impact play demonstration there very soon. So lovely. We love Oasis. One of the great things about Oasis Aqua Lounge, as I understand it, having been there once or three times, is that <laughs> they do have professionals such as yourself come in and uh, give people the the lowdown on the how and the why and the, and the everything about everything. And tell us a bit about your um, association with them. You've done it before, obviously. Sure. Um, For a time, they did sponsor my pod. I'm good friends with their events coordinator, Fatima. So she kind of keeps me in the loop as far as getting me booked over there. Um, I used to teach like a monthly lap dancing class there on top of the uh, kink demonstrations and panels and whatnot that I did there. I had an injury um, about two years ago, so I don't do the dance um, and performance kind of stuff so much anymore. So since then, we've kind of pivoted so that my role at Oasis is more of an educational one. So now it's not so much the dancing, but now it's like, oh, can you present, you know, a demonstration and like a little talk, do a co-presentation with a partner on various kinky topics. So I will be there. I will be there and I will be square about um, impact, implements, impact play, all of that stuff. Yeah. Of course. And tongue in cheek. There's nothing square about you. Um, <laughs> now I'm super curious. Mm. Your injury, was it serious? It was a stupid little injury that people over 40 uh, acquire um, the smallest little fall during a sport, during sporting. Um, And you know what? It impacted my mobility of my dominant hand significantly. So she's a one-handed dominatrix. (laughs) However, oh boy, the things I could do with that one hand. I can only imagine. I think we may talk about some of that. Was it was it water polo? What sport were you playing? <laughs> Basketball. Why water polo? Oh. <laughs> Basketball's fun, but yeah, I mean, you can injure yourself uh, anyway, anytime, yeah. any place, uh, evidently. Yeah. 
It has been interesting, though, to kind of adapt my practice um, going forward. Accessibility and kink and accessibility and sex work has always been something that I've been passionate about. But now, recently, it's something that's also very personal to me. So I recently went on, um, I, I did an event where I co-presented with Andrew Gerza, who is a disability advocate in the sex and sexuality sphere. He's also an entrepreneur. I just created like a cool really accessible sex toy stuff like that so like this is also something that's come up both in my educational work and then like just my sessions that I do I've had to adapt in a lot of different ways and um you know there are some boundaries surrounding some activities I just can't do anymore physically and there are some activities that I've really discovered oh wow I can do that and it just looks differently. So that's been my journey with disability and sex. We can find you uh, a couple of places I mentioned, uh, ladypim.com, which is wonderful. And and you'll have to talk a bit to the Ritual Chamber, your association with that place. And, and I guess as it relates to what we just said, accessibility, tell us more about that place. Yeah, of course. It's a luxury play space, as we call it here in Toronto. It's in the Junction area. It's near the TTC, so um, anyone can get to it. Obviously, the exact location is secret until you, until you book it. But we run um, workshops there. I do online workshops as well for folks that can't make it into the space. Um, I do one-on-one play sessions with people. Sometimes, you know, you find yourself doing a bit of education and a bit of play in the same session, which is always fun. But basically, Basically, yeah, I I dominate people in person at the Ritual Chamber. There's lots of really fun furniture to play with. Um, There's every implement under the sun. Every room kind of has a different energy, a different um, speciality. So there's like a medical room. There's like a cozy kind of boudoir room. Um, There's a traditional kind of a dungeon with like cages and a St. Andrew's cross and some other fun furniture like that. There is um, a little schoolhouse kind of uh, set up in the corner of one of the rooms. And there's like a bondage bedroom because you can also just rent it to use, you know, by the hour or you can rent it overnight as like a traditional kind of Airbnb setup. So we'll get into some of the rooms. I, I went through the uh, the descriptions and the, and, the, and the photos. I particularly did like the globe and the old school desk and the, and that whole vibe. My yeah. partner does too, so we're going to have to send her there for some schooling. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> the more I learn about life, the more I have come to believe that the root of happiness and fulfillment, not only among children, but among all of us, people of all ages, is that four-letter word starts with P, which is Piss. Play. Oh, sorry. It's That's the other P word. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think begins to speak to the, perhaps the why around the things we do with people like you. Uh, play. I mean, is that kind of base level? Tell us, tell us your, you know, understanding of play in context of what you do and how important it is to people. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say it's the baseline, but it's a baseline and it's a really common and important baseline. Um, I feel like people come into kink with all sorts of different intentions. And, you know, on one end, it can be that play intention of wanting to have fun, wanting to do something that's like exciting, you know, gets the adrenaline pumping, maybe. And it can be, you know, about 
connecting with the person, being present, feeling embodied. Sometimes if people are approaching it that way, it can lead into like territory where it feels really healing in some way for them. Some people do it just to get off. Fine also, perfectly valid that way too. Some people find power in the different roles that they embody, even if it's on the submissive or the bottom side of the slash. Lots of different intentions under kink. Uh, for me, play is kind of one of my core kinky beliefs. Um, I come from a performing background, um, an improv background. So things like role play are really kind of the best ways to utilize my like talents, my skills, my abilities. And as far as energy goes, that'll carry over. I like to laugh in a session. I like to joke around. I love banter. I love when like the person is giving it back to me. And I think a lot of that kind of goes against what you might traditionally think of as a kink scenario, a DS dynamic looking like you know, the assumption is maybe that it's like really strict um, or stern or that pain has to play a large element or that humiliation has to be a part of it. And um, you absolutely can do it that way. You can also do it this totally other way where you're just having fun and enjoying each other and connecting. Or you can do like a delicious mix of all these things. I like to say like light mood does not equal light pain. So um, I like to be a little bit sweet and a little bit sadistic. Honestly, I think being a playful dom and having a lot of humor, like in the way I present my brand on my social media and whatnot, it's really encouraging for people because, you know, I'm, I might be less intimidating to book, let's say, for a beginner. One of my specialties is people that are new to kink. So that kind of goes hand in hand with my brand of like, I'm really warm and as you mentioned, I'm a podcaster. So like, I'm really comfortable sitting down with somebody and asking them a bunch of questions and like extracting the information I need to facilitate a really nuanced scene. So I open the door, you're going to get my warm and friendly self. And then if you want that to carry over into the scene as well, that's absolutely where I like to live. But you know, she's a performer, so I can be a chameleon as well and give you like all those other kind of energies too. I have to be completely honest, and, mm. and I know you'll appreciate it. Honesty is everything. Is that seeing you right now here at the Blue Hotel podcast, I see the warmth, I see the friendliness, I see the levity, I see the light, I see the kindness, I see the playfulness. I was a little intimidated when I first went on your Instagram because um, <laughs> I, did, I, didn't, I didn't see all that. You seemed more serious. So yes. I'm thrilled that you are as you are right now and that you're here. Oh, um, thank you. You're welcome. I mentioned BDSM 101, and we've done that a few times on the podcast. Consent 101 is one of the things. And we'll talk about consent in the context of what you do in a bit here, too. It's a world of fascination and possibility, obviously. Let's start uh, at the start for some people who are brand new to this, having maybe only seen a movie that has uh, the words shades and uh, gray in it. <laughs> which we won't comment on yet, at least. Um, people have long seen BDSM in print. Many have uttered those letters, and perceptions are varied, and, and many are unsure of the what and the how and, and the why, and we touched on it. You're the teacher. Imagine it's the first day introduction to adults. 
of the what and, and the how, and perhaps more interestingly, the why people get into this world. I mean, Dom seems rather obvious, but Dom and sub and switch and top and bottom and edging and pegging and give us a little bit of insight into some of the basics. I like how you mention intentionality, and that's something that's really important to me with kink. I like to tell people that like some people are really activities based, like what is the thing we're doing? And some people are not so focused on that. They're more focused on the intention underneath the activities. So that could either mean that it's tied to the power dynamic, meaning the fact that, that somebody is asking me, demanding me, delighting over me, doing whatever the activity is. That's the important part that the person is making me do it. Perhaps, quote unquote, of course, consent is obtained um, throughout and then there's people that maybe it's more about like this dirty talk narrative that's happening in their heads that maybe they want to explore that. So again, it's not so focused on like the physical activities. And then some people are like, just want to do these activities. It's about purely may maybe the physical sensations um, to get off. Like I mentioned, it's like intensely tied to their genitals, perhaps. So like, that's something I would like people to know as a baseline and, and just kind of ponder and consider where might your focus be, right? Are you really fixated on a certain image, fantasy activity? You know, do you watch the same videos again and again and again? Okay, that would lead me to believe that like, whatever activity you're watching, that's probably the interest versus me, you know, standing over you and ordering you to do things for me or to me or whatever that looks like. So um, that's kind of how I get people to start thinking about it because people come in and they're like, um, they either have a list of activities or they're like, I don't care what we do. <laughs> it's more about you and me and the dynamic between us. You know what I mean? So I want people to know that it's okay to like come in and not exactly know what you want to do. That's actually really common, especially if the power dynamic is the important thing. The intentionality is the important thing. How you want to feel is the important thing. And then there's people with a laundry list and it's like, okay, let's bang through these. And then I kind of ask, is there anything, any information you don't want to give me about like the energy or how you want to feel or like things you want to hear from me? And they'll be like, oh, I've never thought of that. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so funny because it's like so different from client to client, from person to person. That didn't totally answer your question, but I'll. I'll... No, that, I wasn't that specific. Let's let's talk about that word switch then. How does that what's the definition sure. of that? Switches, you're usually talking about folks who want to play on either side of the slash, depending on, you know, whatever vibe they're feeling, whatever their dynamic is with this person, you know, whatever energy they're picking up on. So they are interested in playing as a dominant, kind of controlling the scene, um, ordering the person to do things. Um, but they're also interested in like, perhaps being made to do things, perhaps being the receiver of activities, um, being on that submissive end or that bottom end. Some switches who enjoy both sides, they like to do both in a scene. So they maybe want to start out where they're being the one in charge and then they want to be kind of corralled or tamed. And then suddenly it's the other person that uh, has the upper hand in the situation. So switches 
kind of like to play all over the place. They're greedy little things. <laughs> I say that teasingly. <laughs> of course, there's no judgment for switches. I am, I am a switch as well. Um, I just happen to do uh, professional work from my dominant persona. But we love a switch. They love everything and we love everything about them. Uh, you're speaking my language. Um, so here's the thing. I introduced you as the dom. You're in charge. It's your business. People come to you. You know, you do mm -hmm. consultations. You find out what they want. You They book. They give you the deposit. They, you, they, you tell them where to go. They show up. You do the thing. Now, what about the people that want to play the dominant role? How, do, how does that work with the people in the room? How can they do that? You become submissive? Or there's someone else there? What happens? So at the ritual chamber, we do have a house submissive. So what that scenario could look like is that they book, uh, her name is Alexis O'Neill. We love the O'Neill because it's N-K-N-E-E-L. Um, <laughs> and they can play with her um, where they play that dominant role. What's more common than that is that they'll book me with Alexis O'Neill and then we can, me and the client can co-top together, which is really fun. I love, I love duos of any sort and that one's really fun. I love to co-top with a client. Another way they can do that is like, say a couple books me and one of them wants to be dominated and one of them wants to dominate with me. And usually what happens when you get like a couple that they're both switches, they want to switch it up halfway. They both want to be dominated by me at some point and co-top with me at some point. Again, greedy guesses and we love them for it. But lots of options. Yeah. In professionally, I'm always staying in the dominant role. However, the clients that come to see me, that doesn't mean they're necessarily submissive. Some folks identify more as fetishists. So if you're a fetishist, in general, there's nuance to this term, of course, but in general, what, what um, separates those two identities is a fetishist is more kind of fixated on an activity. And it usually doesn't, um, it's not integral that there's a power dynamic attached to it. So a fetishist, say they're a foot person they might come in and they want to do the activity they want to do is foot worship, foot, foot stuff, basically. Um, and their desire is not necessarily to be dominated by me, but to engage with me um, with this feet activity, whatever it is, they're smelling it, they want it in their mouth, they want to be gagging on it, they just want it kind of caressing it, they want to massage it, whatever they want they want socks they want nylons maybe they want heels they want big ass boots like whatever this looks like right and i'm kind of just there to provide the feet you know what i mean and maybe they want some guidance or they want some feedback as to like what feels good or what i like or how they look doing it but they don't want me to dominate them so that wouldn't make them a submissive that just makes them a foot person or like a foot fetishist right so or sometimes they get clients that are like, hey, I'm usually the dominant. I just want to try being submissive. So I wouldn't be so quick to put like all of my clients are submissives because you saw you see all types of folks with all sorts of reasons why they're booking me. When you said that some people, their thing is to come and get off um, mm -hmm. in whatever way, in whatever fashion that means. And for some people, sex is that too. It's it's not as complex as, as some of us would would think. My question, therefore, is, I'm just curious, is the session over when they get off? It was an hour session. Uh, uh, how does that work? 
right? That's my, oh, how did that? Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Well, some people like, yeah. (laughs) Two shots on the goal. That's a, yeah. TSOG. That's a acronym. Um, So, yeah, I, that, that doesn't happen super often um, just in general for me and my clients. It's interesting. We're all kind of different, right? Um, The type of activities that we get booked for the different people that work at ritual chamber and different providers doing whatever they do. Uh, That's not often a focus for me and my sessions. Um, I usually get folks who are like more interested in um, non-penis centric sex meaning any other activity, basically. Usually people don't want me to touch their genitals. Um, And we all have comfort levels also as far as like what type of sexual engagement we have with the clients. Um, Also what we feel comfortable with, you know, whether we just want to use a magic wand or like we want to do a JOI, which means like we're ordering them to test themselves perhaps, or maybe we don't do that at all. They can do it in the bathroom, like in their, when they're showering after the scene, or they can do it at home. Um, so we all have different boundaries surrounding that um, as well. But yeah, there are lots of options. I mean, since I'm a person that usually has scenes that are not genital focused, I'm very much a person that's like, you know, the person being hard, for instance, is not the only indicator that they're enjoying the session. Because as we said, so many intentions that can be the reasoning for them being there. So like some folks you know, might feel self-conscious that like, they're like, I'm enjoying myself. I swear. It's just not reading physically. And I'm like, not important to me that it is at all. Like that's not the be all and end all of sex. Right. So in a similar fashion, if something like that happened where they suddenly, you know, had an orgasm early or it was unexpected or whatever, we would just carry on. We would check in and be like, okay, what are we feeling now? Cause sometimes motivations might change after that happens and you want to take it on a different path. Choose your own adventure, right? <laughs> so we would just check in if that happens and see what they're craving. Some people, the whole thing is that they want post-orgasm torture. So that's always fun. If that happens early, it just gives us more time to do that. Yeah. Some people are mostly interested in like, okay, we, we're doing pain stuff. We're doing high-intensity stuff. But their whole intention is to get to the aftercare. That's the best part for some people so in that case again it's like that happens early cool we'll just do more kind of quiet chatting and we'll have a tea and we'll kind of snuggle on the couch and like have an intimate kind of conversation some people really want to work do the work but that's the reward so it looks different for all sorts of people i'll say that I'm going to come back to aftercare because it's an expression that uh, we hear often and, and not everyone's so clear about it. It's the word you use, provider, reminds mm-hmm. me of a caption from one of your recent socials, Aaron. Choose a provider who really sees you. Mm-hmm. So that process of someone coming to you or coming to anyone who does similarly what you do is a, is sort of a consultation. It's a, it's a getting to know, is this a fit? Um, should I book you? How does that How does that process go? Yeah, I encourage people to like do a little bit of research before booking and just starting the session. Um, I will say most of my clients do just book the session, um, regardless of you know doing too much research, which is so funny to me because I put so much free content out. I'm like, and you don't even follow me on Twitter. You haven't even heard my podcast. God, what do I do all this for? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how could you not? I'm literally everywhere all over the internet. 
But anyways, so I encourage people to, at the very least, like look at the socials of the provider you're looking at booking, just, you know, to see if the energy is something that you're craving. Also, it's like a screening thing for you, right? If you're trying to find them on the internet and they don't even have any socials, that might be a bit of a red flag. Like, you know, is this person actually a professional? Do they have a website? Do they have, you know, whatever else? Or are they just asking you to send them money and they, you know, they've got a blank profile, but you know, you got to pay attention to stuff like that as well for safety. (laughs) I encourage people also if they want to do an online consultation. So it just means we're just talking. And that can mean we're just talking to see our chemistry, to see our energy, or we're talking about the scene that we're eventually going to do when they book the scene. We can do a consult in person if that feels more like what you need to make you feel comfortable. And um, if that's a step in your process, then yeah, we could get together at Ritual Chamber, have tea. I'm a big tea person, if you didn't notice. I'm like glugging tea this whole interview as well. But, you know, we can have a tea, we can chill and relax and talk again, either about kinky stuff or just be in each other's presence and then see if that feels like you want to book the play session with me but yeah a lot of people also just go on the ritual chamber website and they're like she looks hot book you know what i mean so that's fine too (laughs) what we will always do like when you come in for a session a play session we will sit down and talk for like 10 minutes you know between 5 and 15 traditionally depending on how much that person wants to acclimate to the space feel my energy relax a bit in their body get those kind of the nervous system down to a spot where they can kind of get vulnerable and connect kind of feel authentic. Right. So sometimes people book like a four hour session and they want a full hour where we just sit and talk first, or they want a full hour of aftercare. Like it's really subjective as to what people need. So I try to have a lot of options for people as far as meeting me, knowing me before we jump in. So I talked about perceptions off the beginning and even mine are changing as I speak to you. And I love it for this reason that, you know, based on still photos, based on our, our biases, the things we've learned throughout our life, seeing those letters BDSM, and uh, kink and fetish and whips and chains and, and all the different things that go into a, a so-called dungeon, as people would call it. But in reality, it feels more now talking to you for the last half hour nearly like a therapy session because, you know, the biggest, the the greatest sexual organ is, is clearly the brain. It's psychological as much as anything else and probably a lot more than anything else. It feels like this for some people could replace the traditional psychotherapy. Once you start going to see you, I need to see you every week. That kind of thing. I, I guess repeat repeat customers must be a real thing in this space. I will say, I'll point out one little thing that you said there that was, it can look like that, which um, I'll point out that, like, don't dump your therapist for me. Never do that. No dominatrix wants you to do that because that's a whole other pay grade. If I'm going to be your dominatrix and also your therapist, then you better be paying me double. You know what I mean? I will highlight that you said it can, it can feel that way. If you, if that's your intention and you're coming into the space, you know, with that heart open, mind open kind of um, mindset. And I will also say that um, I rather say that it can be therapeutic versus it's therapy or it can't be therapy. Right. 
because um, we're just another tool in the tool belt. You know, maybe you have your physical trainer at the gym. Maybe you have your, you know, massage person. Maybe you have your therapist. And then, hey, maybe you have your dominatrix, right? So we can be kind of in that therapeutic wellness self-care tool belt, but I don't specifically like to say that we're taking on a therapy role unless we're doing a therapy role play. <laughs> but I'm also joking about that. So. <laughs> Great point. Oh, you know, I mentioned it, so I have to get your opinion um, because I saw there was a, a sequel to the movie and, and I didn't watch the first one and I watched the first five minutes of the second one and I said, I got to get out of this. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Give us the Lady Pym review of what that's about for those that have seen that and not seen someone like you. Yeah, this was a hotly contested movie when it came out uh, amongst like kink educators, sex educators and sex workers, because like, OK, I look at it this way. It's good in the way of like it got people being curious about kink, right? So if that was, if they let that be the jumping off point for education and finding other actual like resources um, of like their kinky journey, you know, starting them on their exploration. Then I love it. Great. Because it was like, everybody saw it. People who had never done anything kinky before saw it and got curious. So I love that about it. I basically don't like everything else about it <laughs> because here's the thing about like kink in you know, um, traditional media is that it's kind of this like echo chamber of misinformation. It's kind of like drawing on reference references from like other non-representational media, because a lot, most times, you know, if you see kink in media, uh, nobody, no one that's an actual kink facilitator, kinkster, kink professional has ever really been consulted. I say that. Um, meanwhile, I was just on set of a TV show doing kink consulting because there's dominatrix character. So sometimes that happens and I love when that happens, but in general, if you're consuming media, just my advice is like, don't take it as the Bible of kink, right? Movies, even videos like for pornographic purposes, they're for entertainment. They're not for education. So like, if you see something, let that be an inspiration to like do some educational work around it rather than see the thing in the movie and then do the thing in the movie, because that could be harmful or dangerous. What's a really good example from the film, if you can remember, maybe you've blocked it out at this point that is just so off base and so uh, misleading. They never negotiated about anything. And by what negotiate means is to talk about the kind of kink play you're going to do together. So they never did that. And that is like, you know, that's a massive red flag. Somebody that's trying to jump in and assume a position of your dominant, you know, or submissive. I mean, dominance can get taken advantage of as well in a creepy way. And, um, you know, the main thing that we do, uh, if we're doing it ethically, if we're consent focused, if we're harm reduction focused, is we're going to talk about the activities we're going to do. We're going to ask you, you know, um, what's your experience level with these activities? Um, we're going to ask, is there any intentionality that's important to you surrounding this? Um, we're going to ask you, is there anything I should know about your body and how it works that might affect the type of play we're going to do? We're going to talk about, do you know if you have any triggers, you know, as far as like emotional stuff? Um, is there anything I could say to you that would like feel harmful? Are there any activities we should absolutely steer clear from? Are there activities that like you're curious about, but you're a little, you know, 
you have mixed feelings about like i want to try it but i'm fearful let's set up some safe words you know let me tell you a bit about how i dominate people and how that traditionally looks here are some of the activities i enjoy facilitating like any of this talk you know <laughs> like what the stuff i'm talking about is a pretty in-depth negotiation but also you can zoom through it by being like what activities we are doing are we doing today what's your experience level with them what are the implements you enjoy what are your safe words body stuff great let's go like you're kind of good to go with that but literally they didn't do even a little bit of that, any of that. There was this contract that was floated around, but it actually was never signed. And as you saw in the movie, they did a lot of kink play. So the optics of that scenario are specifically bad because like this, the character, the submissive character, um, she had no experience. So she's ripe for being taken advantage of, right? And that's very true in real life as well. And so the story is that it, this experienced, quote unquote, dominant takes advantage of this woman. That's the story. So yeah, that happens. So the fact that people are taking it as this is what we should do in kink, when actually what the story was showing is this is what you shouldn't do in kink. You know what I mean? Exactly. But yeah. people take it as like, yeah, that's hot. It's like, okay, well, Maybe. it is, but as entertainment. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you're here to shine a little light on that. Um, is it is it CSS or is it SSC? Sane, safe, consensual? That's that's something that people throw around. How does the sane work into it? Yeah, it can mean, I mean, there's interpretations for what all these acronyms could mean as well. Sane means for me that, um, number one, you're not under any sort of um, emotional distress as far as consent goes. Like you're not being coerced in any way to say yes. So, um, you know, consent is very nuanced, right? There are lots of motivations for people to not say no. And so I think saying for me means like that you're self-aware you have a healthy kind of realization about fantasy versus reality. Like the reality of the situation is like, we're going to be safe. Um, I want you to actually trust me um, to do, you know, this vulnerable stuff to you. This is actually a collaboration. I'm going to be looking to you, checking in lots. Um, you have as much say as what happens in the scene as I do, even though I'm the quote unquote dominant, there are safe words, you know, you have a lot of power in this scene, I'm going to give you a lot of opportunity to take the direction this way or that way, even though the fantasy is, I'm making you do all this stuff, because it's fun for me, and it's entertaining. Aaron, another of your uh, captions on Instagram. <laughs> Fear is the highest fence. Uh, uh. There's an F word. There's an F word that gets in the way of so much enjoyment of life. And, and, and people are unable to get to the next, you know, mountain because they're afraid they may just come tumbling down. Uh, fear is a rather high fence. And, and how, in the context of what you do, do you see it play out? Yeah, I see it play out probably most commonly when I have, like, older folks coming to see me. And they're like, I've had this fantasy for like 25 years. And I figure, you know, at this point, like, why not? Why haven't I? And that reaction after you do the session of like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? I think that's a really common way that that plays out. 
and another thing that's common is like people when I'm meeting them for the first time and doing this session, they're usually very nervous, right? And I let them know that that's okay. Fear, you know, just as long as you're feeling safe at the same time. Our whole thing that we're doing is like, I want you to feel safe enough so that you can explore something that's risky, right? And by risky, I mean just like taking that leap of faith of doing this new thing, whatever it is, right? It shouldn't obviously be like physically risky or anything to do with your safety or health or whatnot. But I right away, I'm like congratulating people that they made it in this room with me. And that's huge, right? I'm like, it's all downhill from here. It's easy now. Now we just play, right? Like, but I understand how many obstacles it it can take for people to actually get in the room with me. So right away, I'm like applause. And I always start because this is so common. I usually start off a session with doing grounding activities, right? Because people are in their heads, they're, you know, they're really nervous, their heart rate is up, their brain is going, you know, pinging all around. So I usually start with some sort of a breathing activity, um, or eye gazing, Um, or just like sensual touch on someone's chest, setting intentions um, for the session. Like something I do is like I bring out the collar and I'm like, the fun thing about a collar is you can endow it with whatever you want, you know, for your scene today. And we come up with some intentions to put into this collar. What does it mean for me? Well, for me, it means that I'm providing a safe space for you to explore, shame-free, and that this is my commitment to you to have your safety and well-being at the forefront. And I'm here for you. I'm here to facilitate this fantasy for you, right? So this is my vow. That's what I'm putting in this collar. And they can put whatever they want into it, you know, as well. So I think starting off a scene that way, it gets us really on the right foot as far as the type of domination I do. It's like, okay, let's do, again, this intentionality work. That's more interesting to me. The activities are great and fun and all that. But like, let's start here. And people usually lose their nerves pretty quickly, which is great. It's like uh, the first time someone gets a tattoo. It's a scary thing for someone with that noise and and, and this uh, place they've never been and and everyone's covered in tattoos and everyone seems so comfortable and used to it except for me and then your second time and subsequent times you're an old pro you know i've done it i i i didn't get hurt physically i i, I got some art on me it's like coming to you i i was afraid walking in cuz i'd never done it before that fear thing and and you just in the time we've spoken i get the sense that people listening have alleviated 98% of their fears about even going to someone that's called a dom or going to a place that has the things that your place has, different rooms, theme rooms, things they haven't done before, things they're not used to. I guess it's like anything. If you haven't done it before, it can be a bit scary. That, exactly. Yeah. A lot of times in my like educational work and my like support work with like other sex workers or like other dominants that are just starting out, it's like... I wish there was some quick way, some quick tips and tricks I could give you how to feel confident dominating someone. It's like, but unfortunately, it's like literally any other skill. You got to learn skills and then you've got to practice them to be able to do them 
in a not self-conscious way. You know what I mean? Like it's like any skill, any sport, anything. Um, so it's just to kind of give yourself a bit of leeway as far as that goes. Of, of course, you're not going to feel confident doing something you don't know how to do. Just in general, that makes perfect sense that you're not feeling confident right now. Why don't you put in some hours? Why don't you take some classes, read some books, learn some skills, do it a bunch. And then, wow, magically, suddenly you're feeling like, like you said, like an old pro. And then that learning curve happens, though, of like, you first feel like you know everything. And then the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know anything. So it's like that learning curve also happens, which is funny. But in general, yeah, it's um, you can't be confident in something you don't know how to do, period. There it is. You 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 just set me straight on something that in my many years on the earth, I, I didn't understand the context. When you said it's all downhill from here, I always thought of that with a, a negative connotation. But I realized when you're running and you get or riding a bike or whatever the thing is physical and you get to the top of the hill and now you get to go down. It's all downhill from here. It's easy from here. Yeah. I really love that <laughs> I have a new positive context or spin on that expression. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Um. Let me give you a couple more things. Here's one that I that I stumbled upon. Pet play? I'm teaching a pet play class next week. <laughs> I'm drawn to pet play because I'm a playful dominant. So pet play can be so playful. So that's why I'm drawn to it. And basically all it is is that, you know, one of you or both of you sometimes is pretending to embody a sort of animal. And that can... Um, you know, be a certain type of animal, like a dog or a cat or whatever it is. And you can get specific and like, maybe it's a specific breed that you're embodying. And, you know, maybe what's the age of this animal? Maybe they're just a puppy, you know, and how that's going to inform the way you're going to play. And what characteristics does that breed, you know, inform you of? And like, what could that mean if we're translating into a scenario where we're doing kink activities or, or whatever energy you want to kind of do that day. It's like, is it going to be fun and playful? Are we going to do games? It's going to be sensual and like cuddly and really wholesome and sweet. Again, is it going to be sexual? Is it going to be like just a getting off thing? Are you anthropomorphic or is it more a realistic kind of animal you're embodying? So are you talking back? Um, is it about the aesthetics of the thing? Some pet play enthusiasts love to buy all this gear, you know, like these full hood mask things and a tail and these gloves that make them, you know, not be able to use their opposable thumbs. Like, so again, a whole range of why you might go into this sort of play and lots of intentions too. The intention could be, I just want to be embodied. I'd want to turn my brain off. That's really common for not only kink in general, but pet play specifically. It, it can be a very good introductory kink as well, because it's one that kind of stays in that lighter category, unless you want it to include pain or include whatever else uh, kind of struggly difficulty type stuff that you want to layer on it. But I love doing pet play. I love having a little pet looking up with me and just having no thoughts, no thoughts, just, you know, no thoughts, just puppy, no thoughts, just kitty, whatever it is, right? That's so cute. Cause like, they're so embodied in that moment. And how often do we get to feel truly embodied? We walk around like cut off heads, you know, most of our day. So something where we can just kind of let go and just be present is a treat, I think. So that's, what's really attractive to about pet play for me. 
You've mentioned this before, shame. No shame is sort of the stance you take in, in the work you do. No shame is the stance we take at the Blue Hotel podcast. It's inclusive and shame-free. Although I, I feel like shame and, and being shamed in a role-playing capacity can act as a real freeing device if done properly by a professional, you. Talk a bit about shame and, and humiliation and, and things of that nature in the context of having a client come in and what they might want and what they might get out of it. Yeah, of course. I think um, we're all affected by like, you know, I think the, the one that's really common is like heteronormative kind of um, narratives. We're all affected by those in these like really nuanced ways, right? Depending on our personal experiences. So flipping the script is a really attractive thing because it's freedom from those narratives that confine us on the daily, right? So whatever that looks like. For me, that often looks like women can be, especially if we're like racialized or disabled or trans or whatever it is, um, can be um, marginalized, right? So me coming into my power and completely calling the shots and have people being just completely obsessed with me and I have control over how I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a sex object. I'm, I'm the sex subject. <laughs> so I objectify people in my job. I, you know what I mean? I come into this space and wear what I want, say what I want, do what I want. So that's really empowering for me. But so people can take, you know, these narratives and flip them around and find a lot of freedom. So something, for instance, shameful, um, a common shameful thing that happens is like people want to be feminized. That's an interesting one because I think the assumption is that people want to be humiliated for acting like a girl, dressing like a girl, whatever it is. But for me, I'm like, I only do feminization if it's empowering in some way. If I'm telling you you're so pretty and so cute and making you feel good for looking like a girl, you know, acting like a girl, whatever it is. Cause guess what? There's nothing shameful about being a girl to me anyways. So I won't do humiliation and feminization at the same time, unless I'm humiliating them about some other thing that's adjacent. But I like the intention of feminization to be like gender play or it's like kind of discombobulating for a person it's just dressing them in a way that they're not used to dressing. So they feel a little like, oh, oh, I'm not in control right now. What's happening? So I'll do it for that reason sometimes. But yeah, shame can play such a huge part in kink because kink is this kind of alternative narrative. It's the um, subversion of all these narratives, right? So every kink basically is there because it's taboo in some way. It's something we should be shamed about, shameful about. That's so very common. And to do it in a container, to do something you should feel shameful about, to do it in a container that feels safe and that you have complete control over where it goes, when it starts, when it stops, who you're doing it with, how it looks, every little nuanced aspect of it, suddenly those narratives, those harmful narratives aren't controlling us anymore. They don't have power over us anymore. I love it. They're neutralized. It's like African-American people neutralizing the N-word by using it. And a lot of queer people, you know, will do the same thing. Well, they'll, they'll use certain words that have been used against them. I mean, anybody, anybody from any race, any age, 
you know, any gender, any orientation has had words used against them, right? So that's kind of a way you can take the power out of the people that used those words to you or use those words to you and kind of take control over that. Yeah. And that Q word more than anything, that's the underpinning of it all. Using the word queer to describe it was, it was such a negative connotation and then got no power now. That's part of the spectrum. Yeah. I'm queer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Dirty talk. We've talked about a little bit here today and, uh, and in so many episodes, because one of the types of episodes at the blue hotel is, is audio erotica and narrations mm-hmm. that are largely fiction. And Dirty Talk is just so powerful for so many people. Uh, how does it play out in what you do and how big of a mm, component of what you do in terms of people coming and wanting to integrate that into your sessions? Yeah. So I'm teaching a class on this next month, but I haven't written it yet. So maybe this will give me some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> But like dirty talk for me, again, this is one that's like a topic that's really personal to me because for me, when I do activities, it's, I guess I'm just an audiophile. I want to hear certain phrases. I want to be told certain things. I want to be called certain things. So that's like one of my, again, like my core kinks, right? And it can be related to a bunch of different kinks as well. But like words to me are really powerful. I also do audio erotica on my um, on my Patreon. Um, so back in the day, published erotica author for many years, actually. So like words, words mean a lot to me. And I feel like, you know, that's not true for everyone, of course, but it is true for a lot of people. And that's one of the negotiation questions I ask before we actually get into the play is like, is there anything you really like to be called? Is there anything you really like to hear? And if they are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're really into it, then I'm like, okay, great. Let's get even more nuanced. If there's something I can call you or say to you at the beginning of the session to help you drop into your body and drop into subspace or how pet space, whatever you want to feel. What could I say? What could I call you? And then say it's the middle of the scene where we're doing the bulk of the activity and maybe I need you to, we're sustaining the activity at that point. What could be said to you that would like either encourage you or like um, help you sustain whatever maybe it's pain you know maybe it's uh, a lot of stimulation all at once you know what could I say to you in those moments what could I call you in those moments Um, so that you're staying in that good headspace that you want to be in and you're pushing through to the next part and then you know for the end you know what could I say what could I call you that would get you there that would push you over the edge right and um what are things I could say after that moment that would really affirm you or um, whatever feeling, again, you want to feel in that moment. So like, I like to break it down like that for people who are like really into dirty talk. I'm like, okay, tell me all the things because then in the moment, I suddenly have this like little script on the backup, right? And you can kind of improvise laterally. uh, I like to say, you know, Um, I I know what to say in those moments. And what's fun about kind of creating a bit of an outline and then improvising the rest is like, as the dominant, as the top in the scene, I get to pick and choose when, where, how I say all this stuff, right? And I put my little unique spin on it too. Extracting all this information, telling people exactly what you want, what you want to hear, what you want to be called, is in no way going to ruin the mood. It's not going to ruin the surprise. 
I'm going to take all that information as a dominant. And guess what? I'm into denial. So maybe I'm never going to say those things. Maybe I'm going to make you wait. Maybe I'm going to make you beg for it and only get give you a tiny little bit at the very end to push you over, right? That's all within my control. So the fact that someone is telling me all of that, that is no way doing this thing that they call topping from the bottom. It's all good stuff because guess what? My reaction is always my choice. So thank you for telling me that. I will log it and do it when and if I want to do it. <laughs> and when they come back, you can even pull it out from your notes from the last session. That thing. Exactly. Great yeah. point. Write it all the fuck down so that you, you're now just building, building all this information and you've got so much now to draw from. So guess what? Improvising is going to get easier and easier and easier. The more, you know, you play together. I love it. Well, there was something I wrote down uh, based on my research of you. Tease and denial. There's that word, denial. Tell us more about, that's probably the most intriguing part of all of this I, I read. The idea of tease and yet denial. Withholding, I guess, is, is part of that. I taught a class on this. Um, oh, I'm bringing it back, actually. Yeah, I, I'm going to teach this for the second time in a couple months. Um, why I'm thinking so much of classes is because I literally just released like six months of classes. So it's on my brain. It's this thing of like... Again, this thing of like, okay, I know the activities we want to do. We fully negotiated the things, right? I know what you want, but since I'm a dominant and you're a submissive, I'm not going to give you everything you want right away. That would be so unlike me. So I'm either going to make you work for it, make you wait for it. Even people that don't have a denial kink, you want to draw it out. Like what? You want it to be done in five seconds? No, let's make a meal of this. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to spend a couple hours together doing these activities really love, there's got to be buildup. There's got to be drawing it out, teasing it out, um, giving you a bit and then taking it away and then giving you a little bit more and then taking it away. Like, let's have fun with it. And there can be all sorts of ways I can make you earn it that are so delicious and fun. And again, playful. Playful's my thing, you know. At this point, you're probably picking that up. So this is absolutely part of it of like, okay, great. I know what you want to do. You're giving me all that lovely information and I'm going to decide when and where and how I'm going to use it. And guess what? That makes me feel so authentic and affirmed in my dominance. And trust me, you're going to like it too. Even if you're not into denial, you're going to like me fucking with you because it's fun. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll give it to you eventually, especially if you said that's integral to the scene we're doing together. You'll get it. Don't worry. But just let me, let me find how we're going to get there. Let me decide, you know, and let us collaborate how we're going to get there. Let's make it be a fun journey as well. Aaron Lady Pym, I get the feeling you're not the garden variety dom in this profession. You're intellectual and you're really fun and you're really experienced and you educate. Educators can educate because they know what they know. Tell me what your feeling is of where you fit in because I think that your intellect makes you really good probably and your playfulness and your sense of humor at what you do. But not everyone's going to be like you. So if I'm listening and I think I've got to get someone, I've got to get a session with someone that does what you do, you're not necessarily going to get all the things you've just spoken about. How do I know? Well, you said you do your research. You go and look, see what they have on Twitter, see what they have on Instagram, see if they have a podcast, see how they operate, see if they laugh, see if they're funny, see if they're smart. I guess it's really up to the 
the person wanting to jump into the pool to do a little homework about this, right? Yeah, well, I think it's also that thing of like, I have a lot of knowledge about what I have knowledge on, right? I have knowledge on my very specific experiences that I've had in my life. And that's just one take on any number of topics. So I always encourage people who are like, take my classes and they're like, wow, oh my God, now I know everything. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know my very specific angle on this topic. So if you're going to get kind of a round education, then you would take the same topic by a bunch of different educators, right? And then now you have like a lot of knowledge about it, right? Same with like, if you're looking and booking someone, you're going to get a whole range of people. We're people. We're just as layered and nuanced as as all of you. So of course, you know, what you get from me is going to be very different from what you get from anybody else. And I can say that about any, any Dom, we're all very unique, because we're very unique humans. And that's the spice of life, right? So book that consult if that's available. Subscribe to like their subscription sites, you know, if you want to go the extra mile and see them in action and see what they do and like really get their energy before booking, purchase some content from them if they do that as well. Because a lot of us do a lot of different jobs in this uh, sphere, right? So part of booking someone is that we're a human. We're not a kink dispenser. We're not the person in your head that you've been picturing in this very specific fantasy for the past 25 years. No, we have a brain and we have a lot to contribute and a lot of skills to contribute as well. So the best way you can like book someone and show up being like, okay, this is what I'd like to do in the session today. However, again, that like fantasy reality disconnect of like, but I get that I'm here collaborating with you right now. And how I'm going to best use you in this scenario is by letting you take the lead, collaborate, co-create with me, because it's going to be this unique, fabulous thing we're going to do together today. When it's over, how did it go? How are Mm -hmm. you? We talked about earlier aftercare. Yeah, aftercare can mean either the immediate time spent together when the scene is concluded, or it can mean like you're saying, like, um, that can kind of go into the next day or the next week, you know, especially if you're like regular play partners, or you have an ongoing professional dynamic with somebody, then you will kind of touch base the next day and be like, "Ooh, what's still in your memory? How are you feeling? How's your body feeling? Um, And that will better inform you going forward when you play together. But like, even if you don't play with that person again, it is really important to like do those check-ins with yourself of being like, okay, did I learn anything about myself? Is there, you know, some stuff out of there that weren't so great in, in what case, you know, maybe I don't want to do them going forward, or maybe we can modify, or maybe if it looked like this, then maybe I would enjoy it more. It's important to do that reflective work. And I think that can, in general, be a part of like the aftercare you do after seeing a provider or playing in a kinky or sexual scenario ever to be like, how did I feel about that is a really good question to ask yourself, I think. Or just non-kink, non-fetish, just two people making love on a Thursday, you know, after work. How do I feel? How are you? What do you take forward? It's, it's, it's communication really, isn't it? It's it's the basis of everything we talk about. Yeah. And actually I would love if more people did a little quote unquote negotiation before any type of sex they're having. I would love that. Like, I don't think it's as common as when you're, when you're, you know, having a hookup or whatever to be like, Hey, what are your favorite stuff to do? You know, 
Do you like to be called anything? How do you want to like feel? What are you feeling right now? You want intensity? Like, or do you want like softness? Like, what are you craving? I think I would love to think that people have a just, as you said, vanilla sex are still kind of having those conversations before. And then, like we said, having the debrief after is just as important, whether you're going to see the person again or not. It's just information you're gathering about yourself, right? It's powerful. It's effective because it's revealing something of yourself without fear. Because usually yeah. the fear is someone wants to get laid. If they say the wrong thing, they might not get laid. If they, if they reveal too much of themselves and it may right. be a turnoff and the person walks away, you got to be okay with that because that person wasn't really right for you if you couldn't be you. There you go. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to find out, right, is by asking. Like I say that with some people, some clients come in and they don't really have the answers for the questions I'm asking them. And that's okay. I'll say that again. I'll give them a multiple choice in that in that case. And sometimes they're like, oh, that one. Okay. But sometimes they really just don't tell me what they really want. And the session is, you know, it's good, but could have been better. It's that fantasy reality disconnect of like, I'm not a mind reader. I'm really good at intuiting and like, I'm really watching and listening and trying to figure you out. But if you're literally giving me nothing, we're not going to do the thing that you always wanted. So the only way to do the thing that you want to do is to tell me. The only way to guarantee that we're going to do the thing you want is to ask for it. I signed up for your uh, newsletter, <laughs> ladypim.com, and I'm excited to get everything you share with everyone. And uh, mm. and, and I have to book I have to book a session with you. And uh, I mean, wow. let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> this is please, a great consultation do. we just had. <laughs> yeah. One last thing: you do erotica. You do you do it on Patreon? I do. Yeah. yeah. So I have my regular podcast, the Bedpost Podcast. And then we've got some stuff behind a paywall as well. And um, that's on patreon.com slash the bedpost show. Um, and there's audio erotica that I do. I do solo uh, episodes where I talk about the you know specific stuff I'm doing at work and like even personal in my dating life. I talk about all that on there. There's also like pictures and vids if you're into like seeing, you know, a bit of like the kink that I do there also but yeah that's all on patreon.com slash the bed post show she did it right at the blue hotel she did it right at the blue hotel the blue hotel podcast just about every thursday at midnight eastern follow listen enjoy rate review share repeat Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind 
check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.